My name is Jordan, and I'm one of the folks that serves on the preaching team here at Missio Day Church. And uh, I consider myself a, a bit of a nerd. Uh, I like nerdy things. Uh, but unlike a, a typical nerd, I, I really like sports. Um, I, uh, I like watching sports. I like playing sports. But I also like uh, listening to sports talk radio, analyzing draft picks of teams, having debates over which sports dynasties are the best. Uh, so when quarantine first started last March, um, there was a documentary that came out called The Last Dance. And The Last Dance was a documentary that uh, followed the 1998 Chicago Bulls quest for their sixth NBA championship. Now, I grew up on the south side of Chicago right when Michael Jordan was playing for the Bulls and winning all these championships. So when this came out, this was like meeting Jesus all over again for me. Um, they would, uh, each episode would air every Sunday, and I would run upstairs to my room, and I would put on my Nike Chicago Bulls shooting shirt from the 1998 year, put my hat on, and clutch my basketball on the couch while I watch each episode. And my wife would watch this and most likely text her tried and say, I think he's gone. Um, I think we've lost him. And that's really what Triad is for, a safe place for you to tell your friends how ridiculous your spouse is. Um, so I loved The Last Dance. I fell all in love with Michael Jordan all over again. And there was also a Tiger Woods documentary, which kind of uh, took a look at Tiger's life from, from birth um, all, in, all through his entire career. Now, some of you know that my wife, Emily, is a really good golfer. Uh, she's a two-time state of Maine golf champion. And I just like, yes, thank you, yes. And um, I just like to say, Tiger has never won a Maine State Golf Championship. And my wife has won too. So in your face, Tiger. Um, he's going to be really mad when he listens to this later. Um, so when I was listening to Sports Talk Radio one day, they were referring to The Last Dance and Tiger Woods documentary. And someone was on the show and said something really interesting. He said, it seems like there's this uniquely American thing to build these people up, idolize them, and then find a way to tear them down. Well, I would disagree. I don't think it's a uniquely American thing. I think it's a uniquely human thing. There's something in our wiring that longs to worship, to idolize, and follow something or someone. Uh, our text this morning reminds us of this deeply innate human characteristic. We are in our 18th week in the book of Acts, and this morning we'll be looking at Acts chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, or your device, or a papyrus scroll, go ahead and turn, turn there now. Acts chapter 14. That is the first chunk of the chapter, the, of verses 1 through 7. But Paul and Barnabas are in Iconium, a town about 200 north of the Mediterranean Sea in what now is modern-day Turkey. They go to the synagogue to speak, and a large crowd of both Jews and Greeks come to faith. But there's also a group of unbelieving Jews who stir up some dissension against the apostles. A division emerges in the city between those who were with the apostles and believed what they were saying, and the unbelieving Jews. And the Gentiles and the unbelieving Jews with their rulers make an attempt to stone the apostles. But they can't end up being to and So I'm going to pick it up. 
But we're going to read uh, verses 8 through 18. Of there was a man sitting in light who was able to use his feet. He had been lame from mother's womb and had never walked. He heard King. When Paul saw that he had faith to be walked, he said with a loud voice, Stand up straight up on your feet. Up he jumped and walked about. When the crowds all had done, they shouted loudly, language. Gods have come to us in human. They called Barnabas Zeus, all because he was the main. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the city gates. There was a crowd with him, and he was all ready to. Both Barnabas heard of it. They tore their clothes and rushed into the room and shouted, what are you doing? We are just ordinary humans with the same nature as you. And we are bringing you the wonderful message that you should turn away from these foolish things to the living God. Heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In earlier generations, he allowed This old story belongs to the part of Turkey where Paul and Barnabas now find us. So it could have been that the towns were kind of waiting in expectation in case this arrival took place. So after hearing Paul and Barnabas share the good news, the crowd in Lystra had confused, had confused the messengers of the good news with the good news itself. They wanted to give their worship and allegiance to the messengers versus giving their allegiance to the one who was at the center of the good news message itself. The priests of Zeus crowds wanted to offer sacrifices, but what actually needed to be sacrificed was not oxen and garlands, but rather their whole pagan religious structure. And this is a remarkable scene. I can't imagine what it must have been like to be Paul and Barnabas kind of managing and navigating this giant miscommunication. And after reading this, one might say, man, those pagans will worship anyone and anything, won't they? But we would be foolish to think that this way of thinking and acting on the part of the crowd is unique to the people of Lystra. This is not unique to just this select group of people. It is unique to the entire human race. We all have an innate desire to worship, to idolize, to find someone or something to follow that can give our lives meaning, value, and purpose. And the crowd at Lystra heard good news, which can result in the fulfillment of those innate desires. But they thought that this good news was something that they could just simply add on to their already existing religious systems and lives. Listen to N.T. Wright's commentary on this specific passage. He says, It is remarkable what can happen to a message when the hearers insist on inserting it firmly into their own worldview. Upon hearing the good news, the people of Lystra don't abandon what they once thought was true and embrace the good news. Instead, they try to take this good news and and combine it with their already existing broken system. This, too, is not unique to the people of Lystra. We do this this as well today in 2021. 
Which brings me to my central question for us this morning. And it's this. Do we live a life of gospel allegiance or gospel assimilation? A gospel of allegiance means restructuring and reorienting all of one's life around the person of Jesus because he is Messiah, Lord, and King. Gospel of assimilation is trying to add this Jesus into our already existing life and structure. A gospel of allegiance places Jesus at the center with all of us finding orientation around that center. A gospel of assimilation places us at the center where we decide how and when Jesus will orient around our lives. A gospel of assimilation means turning the rudder on your ship a couple of degrees this way or a couple of degrees that way. But a gospel of allegiance means restoring the entire ship something new, which includes a new captain at the helm. People of Leicester tried to assimilate this good news into their already existing structure. And as a result, they missed it because they did not recognize Jesus in his rightful place as the center. Instead, they continued to put themselves at the center and neglected Jesus as king. They miss the good news. And Lord, help us if we do the same. Jesus, thy dish to the meal of life, or is he the whole meal itself? Is Jesus one drawer? There's the great bumper sticker theology with the famous, Jesus is my co-pilot. Which, by the way, if you see someone run them off the road in the name of Jesus. The gospel leads King Jesus enter and holding on to that reality. The gospel of assimilation puts us in orbits around us. And we get to decide when and how that orbit happens. The latter is self-gospel. The former is a selfless gospel and we were made to follow jesus it is in our wiring as human beings to be allegiant to this king made to reflect the goodness likeness and wholeness and justice and love of into the world by following king jesus but a gospel of a I am redeemed, and I am loved. Those are the result of the good news, not the good news itself. Just as Paul and Barnabas were the measures of the good news, and not the good news itself. It, says, it is not the sun makes thee. It is because of the sun we can see. The gospel of allegiance centers itself on the sun. Namely, Jesus, the King. A gospel of assimilation centers itself on the effects of the Son. Namely, us. We were made to orient our lives around Jesus. 
to orbit our whole being around King Jesus. And without this orbit, we cannot see. Without this orbit, we will never have life and life to the full. We were made for allegiance to this king. Now, the concept of a king is foreign to us individualistic Americans. I mean, the founding of our uh, country essentially stemmed from the rejection of a king, right? We don't like the idea of a king. Because if there's a king, that means that there are subjects. Which means that we are the subjects. Which means that we must be allegiant to the king. And we don't want to be subjects. We want to be free. But, friends, this is the good king. This king does not live in a mansion separated from his people. He is the word that became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This king does not disregard the sick and needy that walk the city streets. He is the king filled with compassion who touches the leper. This king does not throw criminals in jail to display his love of the law. He calls criminals out of freeze and dines with them in their homes. This king does not consider himself too high and mighty to subdue himself to lowly tasks. He is the king who ties a towel around his waist and washes the dirty feet of his closest friends. This king does not ignore those whom society deems worthless. This king stops a whole parade of people and listens to a woman's whole story. This king does not wear a crown of gold. This king wears a crown of thorns. This is the king who had the greatest power in the entire universe in the entire cosmos and instead of wielding that power and beating it beating his subjects into submission he laid all of it down to take on the full weight of sin and death and defeated all so that he might free his people this is the king our king the good king And he is so good. He is still king. We were made for allegiance. We were made to be allegiant to this good king. And the love of this king towards his people is even more mind-blowing. Because even after all that done for his people... In the midst of us living a gospel of assimilation and putting ourselves at the center and not recognizing the rightful place of the good king, he continues to love us. He continues to pursue us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in the Messiah King Jesus. And he continues to call us home. This is good king. So what does it look like to live out a gospel of allegiance to the good king? Well, the good news that was declared in the gospels is that God was becoming king in and through the person of Jesus the Messiah. So the starting point is Jesus is king, which means he is in charge. 
So there are several questions we could ask that might flesh out what this gospel of allegiance could look like. Here are a few. What would this neighborhood look like if Jesus were running the show? What would this school look like if Jesus were in charge? This operate if Jesus were so. What would this workplace look like if Jesus were in charge? What would this city look like if Jesus were running the show? Now, it's tempting to focus on those big things and, and say things like, what would it look like this whole uh, political uh, system uh, if Jesus were in charge? What would it look like? But my encouragement as Missio Day Church in 2021 would be that we wouldn't start there, but rather that we would start in our own homes and ask, what would this home be like if Jesus were in charge? How would I spend my spare time if Jesus were running the show? What would my bank account look like if Jesus were in charge? No amen after that one? Okay, cool, cool. What would this marriage be like if Jesus were in charge? How might I parent my children if the good king were running the show? These are questions that we can ask that can flesh out the gospel of allegiance. But let's start in our own homes first and then move out from there. Friends, this is the good news. Jesus is king. And he is the good king. And we were made to live our lives in allegiance to him. Just as the planets were spun into existence to orbit around the sun, so too our lives were meant to orbit around the Son of Man, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And even in the midst of living our lives in such a way that puts ourselves on the throne and everything else orbiting around us, the good king continues to see us. His heart is filled with compassion. And the good king will never stop pursuing us and calling us home to our one true allegiance. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the good king. the one in whom all things hold together, the one who held the greatest power in the universe. And yet you are the one that did not wield that power and hold it over your people. But Lord, you laid it down to free your people. Because you are king, we can be free. The good news is not that we are free. The good news is that you are king, and because of that, we can be free. And Lord, I pray that we would be a church that grows tired of living a selfish gospel with ourselves 
on the throne and not recognizing you, King Jesus, in your rightful place. You are the good king. And we were made to be allegiant to you, good king. I pray that we people that live and move and find our very being in orbiting around the good news that Jesus is king. So, good king, we recognize you as the center of all things. Recognize that we cannot see unless we orbit around the good king. We cannot hear, we cannot discern, we cannot have life and life to the full unless we orient our lives around the good news that God has become king in Jesus the Messiah. And good king, we ask that your kingdom would come in our homes, in our marriages, in the lives of our children, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our communities, in this city, as it is in heaven. The entire human race was made to follow you, good king. And as followers of you, Lord, may we point all of us, all, all the people that we know, Amen. Thank you, Jordan. Um, we're gonna we're going to take communion together. Um, so maybe Ruth, you could help Doug hand out. Oops. Um, uh, Ruth and Doug will come around your tables. Um, I know we've been having some trouble on the Zoom call this morning, so I'm not sure if everyone can hear me on Zoom or not, but if you can, you're welcome to join us taking communion right now. Um, but as usual, I ask you to invite you to wait until everyone in the room has gotten a cup, and then I'll guide us through it together. While they're coming around and um, coming to each table to give the, the elements, I encourage you to to prayerfully think on um, the fact that this this juice and this waiver point to what our king did for us on our behalf. That in a very real way, we believe that our king walked towards a cross, laid down his life. And the, the juice points towards his blood that was spilled and the wafer points to his body that was broken. Um, it's a powerful, powerful, completely subversive reality for us in a world that's obsessed with platform building and influence. Um, the way our king exercised his influence is completely counter to that. So I encourage you to reflect on that this morning. And uh, ask yourself the question Jordan asked us, what did it look like to put this this king at the center of my whole life? So I invite you now to uh, take this together because it's something we do together. It's not just individual exercise, but something we do together. And we join others around the world who are doing it actually right now as well. So I'm going to open the, open the cup, dip the wafer into the juice. 
and eat it together in remembrance of our King. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, as we do this simple act together, I pray it would be an act of allegiance. We declare ourselves individually and corporately subjects uh, of the true and rightful king of the universe. Pray that we'd be so animated and filled by your love and awareness of your spirit amongst us today. That we would go out of this place joyfully loyal to you. We pray this all in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.